I, I'm doing a 180 on uh, on on the the platitudes and the gratitudes. Of you know, we were saying, hey, you got to start every conversation and let everyone you know make sure that you're on the same page about not killing babies. But then I realized something. I realized something here. I'm I'm 180ing on this and I'm going pro killing babies, which might sound outlandish. You you think that there's nobody on the internet who's going to get onto a microphone and say, you know what we got to do is we got to kill babies. No one's going to say it. You want to talk about what would have been the better and juicier introduction to start this show than that stuff about the player and maybe not having players. You get right into it and say, I'm standing up right now and I'm going to, you want to track the Gen Z TikTok generation that's all of a sudden getting into Bin Laden and on all the literature that he put out into the world. You got to make bold statements. You got to attract attention. You got to scream from your apartment in a way that the people standing in their own hallway are going, am I next to a person who's actually advocating for baby murder? And that's right. We're done with the platitudes and the gratitudes. We're finally going to speak our mind. We're going to say the important things. And here's my argument. All right, we live in a world where we've heard about microaggressions. We've heard about patriarchies. We've heard about structures. We've heard about lifetimes of indoctrinations, of histories, traditions, things that have happened in the past. And so we just live with it. We just accept it. We go that this is the way that things should be. And when you start just digesting murder or war, you know how I think we should settle land disputes? Rocks, paper, scissors, shoot. Sure, if someone goes too early, I think they should be shot on sight and seen. You know, you got to honor the actual rules of rocks, paper, scissors, shoots. But, you know, all of war is stupid. There's no reason for it, except that someone has something that you'd rather have, and so you invest in a military, and you go, right, might makes right, and therefore, because I've got this army, you're going to listen to me. I don't care if it costs me more in the long run and it and it involves the immorality of death. I don't care. I'm taking what's mine and you will be of servitude to me when it comes to the world problems. That's the that's the way that we're going to solve things. Whoever's biggest, whoever's strongest, they get to they get to keep it, they get to kick people over. And what I'm trying to say is, so why is it that 18 to 35-year-olds are the selected group that are supposed to be murdered on behalf of empires. Why did we accept that? Why is it that when you get to age 18, if you're a male between the ages of 18 and 35, we all go, well, it's okay for this person to die. Take the babies. The babies have yet to make a contribution. We haven't invested 18 years into these people. I'm just saying, if the okay solution to problems is that some group of people get killed, why does it have to be my group of people? Why are we selecting the 18 to 35-year-olds? The, the, the babies, they might not even make it to 18, especially with all these mRNAs in them. So I'm just saying, if we're going to just uh, randomly select a group of people as being the group of people that have to die in order for the elites to settle their disputes amongst one another, how have we been indoctrinated to say that it's the 18 to 35-year-old males that should be sacrificed? And you want to know something else? We all are inherently more outraged by the Another country actually saves like a hundred lives of an 18 year old. It could be that the disputes of uh, the disputes resolving revolving around death could be settled sooner with the killing of babies because we all inherently don't accept baby murder. We're, we're more upset by it. So you could probably save more lives and end wars sooner and get rid of the people that have made the wor- the least contributions to, to society. What have babies contributed to the world? Or here, here's really the group of people 
that we should be putting out there. And this is why I say battle of the couch people. Some people, they reach age 50, and that's the height of their careers. They are productive members of society. They're out there, and they're making all sorts of people money. They, they got a factory. They've done something. They, they Think about how uh, what Run, Run Your Mouth Enterprise is going to look like at age 50. We're going to have a team. We're going to laugh about the days when the, the, when the feed was cutting out because we didn't have 45 producers standing behind me, giant wall-to-wall monitors, broadcasting from the Yo Kratom Stadium, all right? That's what's going to happen when I get to age 50, is I work hard every single day on this show, and then nighttime comes around and I drink. But, you know, the daytimes, I'm working pretty hard on the show. And so the point I'm making is that some people get to age 50, and they are, you know, they've made some serious contributions. And there's a lot of people that they're making money for, or maybe they're even retired, and they're out there, and they're spending the money. But for some other people, they have some injuries along the ways. They have some trials and tribulations, and they become a couch dweller, a person that sits on their couches. And now, what I'm proposing is that there's already w- rules for war. We have rules. Rules in agreement amongst people for how we will be engaging in warfare. So why not just everyone agree, the same as they police sports that you can't take steroids, we won't put up our 18-year-olds, you don't put up your 18-year-olds, and we'll have old man fights uh, with the people that have made it to 50 and clearly weren't making a contribution to society. So if like you're above a certain tax bracket or you got family relying on you, I don't really know what the criteria is to go, hey, you're getting drafted into the military because you're 50 years old and you're not doing anything with your life. Maybe we monitor, and I'm not pro, you know, uh, government. And monitoring things, but maybe we, you know, they, they actually look at the NSA files and they see who watched the most porn, who's uh, sitting at their computer the most, are they above a certain tax bracket? You know, we'll have to figure out the analytics for figuring out which of the 50-year-old men amongst us uh, would be the funnest to send out and fight, you know, the other 50-year-old men from their country. Uh, and, it, you know, beer league, beer league warfare, I guess that's basically what I'm ag- ad- advocating for. All right, guys, tonight I'm in Norwalk, Connecticut. Come out, uh, to, you know, support the local shows. I know the other comics on this show, and they're all hilarious. And, you know, help me boast my uh, my local street cred. People realize, hey, that guy with the O'Kratom backing, uh, the, you know, building up to his uh, his stadium filled with, the, with, filled with Kratom powder. No, show up, guys. Uh, it's a great show tonight, and uh, I don't do too many local shows. I don't have anything lined up locally through the end of the year, and I'd love to do more things locally. So show up. Come support the show. Norwalk, Connecticut, tonight, 8 p.m. You can find the link on my website, RobbieTheFire.com. Or if you're out in Jersey, I'm doing uh, Lou Perez's show. He has me on, like, once a month, which is fucking awesome. So also come out and support that show. Uh, great lineup. It's a very cool theater setting. So if you're out in Jersey... Uh, RobbieTheFire.com. And then, of course, thank you to YoKratom.com, home of the $60 kilo, which, uh, you know, the only sponsor that will allow you to get over YouTube and advocate that warfare should be fought between babies before it's 18 to 35-year-old males. All right, let's take a couple comments, and then let's move on. All right, it's just one guy saying, let's fucking go, because I know the, the stream's freezing up a little bit, but we're recording locally, so you'll be able to find full video on all platforms shortly if it doesn't, um, you know, correct itself. All right, let's take a look at our topics for today. Firstly, we decode the secret wincing communication systems between Blinken and Biden. 
You think they have deep state elections? Like, how does Blinken end up in that position? Like, when they decide who's going to be the handler, who's going to be the guy watching him, who's going to be the guy actually, like, making the decisions, is there, like, you think there's a deep state election system amongst the deep state people to figure out who actually gets to call the shots for the deep state? I wonder. I wonder if behind the scenes there's an entire different uh, election system. Next, find out what dead author is grabbing the attention of Gen Z. The answer is Bin Laden. Beards and farming goats are back in, everybody. If you want to figure out how to relate to this younger generation, you want to figure out what kind of content is going to grab their attention, you got to grow out that beard. By the way, if they thought they liked Bin Laden, just wait till they learn about the benefits of farm life and getting back into a relationship with the land and the terrible solitude that comes with the pleasures of modern life. Sure, modern life and technology seems to bring us all sorts of opportunity and pleasures, but as in the words of the uh, great Janis Joplin, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose, nothing left to do, but hey, it's free. And so, you know, we're all sitting around, we're lonely, we're under tinders, no one wants to match with you because you're, you're, you're not tall, you don't got a full head of hair, maybe you don't have that problem. We're all just sitting alone, ordering our food off for Seamless, complaining about inflation, pretending like we're poor and broke while we buy overpriced coffees, spend money on gym memberships. But no, you know you know what would make us all happy? If we went back to simpler times where we could actually feel the thrill of working the land and earning that bread that you eat. I'm quoting the Unabomber if you didn't realize that. Or everyone's struggling now. We're all struggling. Maybe a book about people's struggles. Maybe we could just, uh, someone who really hones in on just how hard they have it, Maybe, maybe uh, you know, it's something like called My Struggle. It's something that you just like really gets into the weeds on it. All right, next topic. After posting $6 billion in losses, senators are exploring saving the USPS by investing in junk mail. What a great storyline that the USPS is losing money because people aren't sending enough garbage in the mail. Just wait for those Senate committee hearings where they're sitting around and they're going, the issue, we don't have enough garbage the campaign, hey, mail mail garbage to other people. We need more garbage going back and forth in this country if we want to be able to rescue the United States Postal Service. That 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 that's what that that was the reason. They're like, well, we're trying to work with the, you know, we're getting we're calling up these companies and we're trying to get them to send garbage and scam people in the mail again. Uh, people aren't cutting enough coupons, but don't worry, we're working with these garbage senders of America to see if we can re-incentivize them to the profits that can uh, that can exist if they go back to sending garbage to people's homes. Uh, and then last topic, uh, with all charges dropped against Biden, the DOJ explains how Biden's classified documents were actually less classified than Trump's. This shit's get confusing. I don't think it's so much the classification level as apparently uh, the cl- it, it's clearly who has the classified documents. And I guess in the case of Biden, you know, he's being handled by the deep state by at all times. So he's under constant monitoring. I guess they don't have to worry about his documents. I mean, sure, Donald Trump was surrounded by uh, Secret Service agents and it was in his private bathroom. And what kind of an animal would go into a billionaire's private bathroom? You know not to do that. Everybody knows not to go into the private bathroom of a billionaire. That guy earned his private bathroom. And then also with the whole Donald Trump storyline, it's already changed from, hey, he had the classified war, nuclear materials, things that he could sell to other people. This entire country's at risk by because of those documents to, well, it doesn't matter what documents were here, what documents weren't there. The thing is that he turned off a camera while he moved them and he lied to his lawyer. So, sure, we raided his home on the basis that there might be nuclear secrets. But, you know, why do we have to quarrel 
about what we did to try and get him in trouble. What we should be getting him in trouble for is the moves that he did when he felt threatened by our activities and he tried to move her around us. All right, let's get into it. So what do we got? What do we got? What do we come up first? David DePape found guilty in Paul Pelosi hammer attack. I'm a little outraged by this because this case got solved without any insight into what Paul Pelosi may or may not like within his asshole. This is why we need federal court needs to be on television. We're missing all the juiciest cases. We keep getting all the insight into Johnny Depp and whether or not turds were or were not in his in his in his uh, in his bed in his blankets. But when it comes to the leaders of our country, the wealthy elites, and what they may or may not like within their buttholes, we get zero coverage whatsoever. And if you guys uh, didn't follow this case, here's what happened. Basically, the first day the lawyer went in and went, yep, he's guilty. Let's read this. This is from CNN. DePape's attorney, Jody Linker, conceded on the first day of the trial that her client was was the one to attack the 83-year-old Paul Pelosi, but argued that his motivation for the assault did not match the charges against him. The case here is about the why, the why matters. This case is about whether David acted because of an account of Nancy Pelosi's duty as a member of Congress. He didn't. Linker had argued to the jury, and he only struck Paul Pelosi in a quick moment of despair because the police arrived and his larger plan was thwarted. Sounds like you're just pleading guilty. How does that work? Hey, I I, I came into the school and I was going to shoot everybody. But then the cop was here and I panicked, so I shot him and I was only able to shoot this one person. So I'm guilty of that, but this law, it was only, you're actually saying that there was a larger plan that was started. How is that not just a guilty plea? And by the way, we didn't get to watch this trial where apparently the guy just showed up and pled guilty. And, you know, none of the mysteries were solved as to how a guy this wealthy has worse than the ADT security that even my dumb parents have at their homes. I mean, how do you have this much wealth and then just zero security in any capacity whatsoever? You'd think with all of, I mean, the greatest stock picker of all time and all of American history would at least have the intellect to invest a little bit into the home security. You, you take a little bit of those savings, diversify the portfolio, spend most of it reinvesting on the insider trading picks. I understand that. But you could at least afford to take some of this money and invest it in your home security. You would think. But no. All right. I want to know, were there character witnesses? Did any other gay hookers show up in this man's defense and say that how this gay hooker going to jail was going to affect the San Francisco gay hookering community? Or did anyone address the fact that he would only engage in violence? <laughs> with the client if they had already forged a previous relationship were the character witnesses of the other gay hookers uh in, in this trial uh all right next next uh you know next serious piece of news for us to look at because that's what we do on the show we're back sorry about that that was annoying uh i will uh we're gonna do this second half of the the, the episode i'll edit it together we'll put it out everything will be great I'll solve all your problems. You'll come back. You'll say thank you for all your diligent efforts. And, uh, okay, let's just get back into the show. Sorry for the tech issues. I don't know why I'm apologizing. If anything, the people of Optimum, they should be showing up right here, right now. And they should be apologizing to you. Because my my part of the show is the setting the thing up, the production, the turning the things on, 
the yelling at the producers, the yelling at the writing staff. That's what I do. I walk around behind the scenes, and you think I yell and scream on air. You should see the way I yell at my staff members because, you know, if you learn anything from Jimmy Fallon or from these other successful uh, the Ellen DeGeneres's, you want to know how to run a successful production, you have to yell at people. And so that's what I do. I took classes. I used to be a very soft-spoken individual. I wasn't good with staff. I wasn't good at yelling at people. I was too forgiving. And that's how you end up with these kind of errors. So I'm just telling you guys, as a manager and boss of the Run Your Mouth Enterprises, I'm doing my part to yell at my staff. That's what I'm doing. I, I, I've taken classes. I'm studying. I'm trying to become as good of a boss and a manager as I can possibly be. And it's not in my nature to yell at people. That's not the way I like to operate. But I'm trying to get better at it. I'm working on it. I'm doing my part. So you know what? I retract my apology for the internet because I've really done my part to advance the show and yell and scream at my staff, which is something I'm not comfortable with, but I'm forced to do. Uh, It's the people of Optimum that apparently don't know how to yell at their staff that created this issue. And so I would like to retract my statement apologizing for the internet, and I would like to give the floor right here. This is for you, the people of Optimum, to show up anytime and apologize to the good people of Run Your Mouth enterprises that are giving up their mornings from working hard and doing their jobs so that they could listen to this show and be more informed about why they shouldn't make their companies woke or include transgender people into what should be uh things for beautiful women not that you can't be a beautiful transgender i'm trying to let's stay focused this is optimum this is on you not me don't turn this around and try and make this my fault optimum this is on you all right back into the show this is from the <laughs> this is from the New York Post. Company behind Miss Universe files for bankruptcy after transgender controversy, and we've seen a lot of uh, go woke, go broke this year. I think the biggest one was the Bud Light fiasco. Have you ever seen a corporation lose more money off of it? And by the way, the amount of money that they pay pay these influencers. I know what advertising costs. You know how much podcasting, golden podcast real estate, uh, Bud Light could have for a long duration of time and actually move a lot of beverage. If every time you turn on your favorite podcast, you only saw the host drinking a particular beer, you want to sit at home, feel like you're hanging out with them, you're telling me you're not going to drink that beer? And I I saw, I think it was Steven Crowder put out, they paid her like $167,000. I'm telling you, I work in advertising. You could be on some pretty big podcasts for a nice stretch of time for that amount of money. But for some reason, these corporations, they don't want money. They don't want profits. They don't want customers. They don't want any of that. They hate you. And so what they want to do is spend their hard-earned dollars pretending like things that you hate are actually uh, uh, are actually profitable. They want to pretend it's the exact play that they did against the Russians in, in purchasing those uh, the Jackson Pollock paintings. It's the same play. You want to pretend like something's more popular and more esteemed than it is. You dump a bunch of money into it, and then everyone looks around and goes, oh, look at all the money that's behind this. This must be what's popular. This must be what people's into. It's a form of censorship because these people hate you, and instead of profits, they want to blow all their money on uh, stupid shit to pretend like this is what the world likes, and then dumb people buy into it and think, oh, if I go on TikTok and I transgender myself, maybe I can get all sorts of money from corporations as well. But anyways, we've seen it. Uh, these people, they try as hard as they can to shove this shit down our throats and pretend like it's popular and it's not, and they keep losing their money because they keep trying to pull this scheme on us. 
And so here you have it from the New York Post company behind Miss Universe files for bankruptcy after transgender controversy. And I'm realizing we're just at the beginning of the go broke, go broke. What do you think's going to happen when they shut down all these trans clinics and you get these people walking around? I got to fix my vagina. Can someone tape back on my labia? It's falling off. I'm just saying this by way of warning to all you people out there. It don't it, just wait till it, it just wait till it's like uh, <laughs> you're walking around with your blockbuster rental card. And you're like, no, but I still I still have a gift card to Blockbuster here, except that it's you trying to, you know, get your vagina canal reopened, uh, except it went out of fashion. All right. Next up. What do we got? What do we got? Cameron pledges UK support for Ukraine. This is this is juicy. This is juicy. So you got this guy, Cameron. Uh, I don't know that much about UK politics, but I'm pretty sure when Brexit came around, he realized, shit, I'm failing the globalists. And he left. He's like, I'm here for uh, for a globalist agenda. And if my country is going to go independent, I have to pretend like I'm outraged and leave. But now he sees an opportunity to step back into the fight, rework. And I, I thought the Ukraine thing was over. I, I honestly, well, I wasn't completely sure, but it looked like perhaps it had become so unpopular. They couldn't sell it to the U.S. people. They got an election coming up. They realized we can't send any more money over there. They realized we're already failing all of our audits. Our Pentagon, the, the, the books have been too cooked. They're fried. They're, they're roasted. We can't cook the books anymore. We can't even pretend like we're forecasting out that we're not going to have to spend this money for 10 years. It's over. And so they finally turn around. And after years of telling us that they're winning the fight, they go, we were working with the best intelligence of the time. The tides have turned. Our war efforts are no longer being successful. We washed all the money that we needed to wash. We blew up all the pipelines that we needed to blow up. We blamed random individuals, and it's time to move on. Except now it looks like uh, the U.K. is stepping in and going, listen, we understand that the U.S. has an election, but we'll give you all the money you need. I, I don't know what's going on behind the books, but I mean behind the scenes, but it looks like the uh, deep state war kooks are trying to keep this Ukraine thing going. It, maybe they haven't completely turned their backs. Here, this is from The Week magazine. Cameron pledges U.K. support for Ukraine. British Foreign Secretary David Cameron met Thursday with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, pledging that the UK would continue supporting Ukraine however long it takes. That's quite the commitment to fight Russia's invasion. I admire the strength and determination of the Ukrainian people, Cameron told Zelensky. The former British Prime Minister, and by the way, when he says, I admire the strength and determination of the Ukrainian people, what he really means is, I uh, like this dictator who's forcing his people to continue to fight and die despite the fact that it doesn't look like it can possibly win. But we're willing to throw a little bit more money if you're willing to throw a little bit more death at this situation instead of de-escalating and giving up. That, that you know, I'm, I'm now putting words into David Cameron's mouth. That's not actually what he was saying there. But continuing, I admire the strength and determination of the Ukrainian people, Cameron told Zelensky. The former British prime minister visited Kiev on his first overseas trip since Prime Minister Rishi Sunak unexpectedly asked him to return to politics in a cabinet reshuffle this week. Zelensky said in a Telegram post that he and Cameron had a good meeting and expressed gratitude for Britain's military support, which had totaled $5.7 billion as of last month. Second only to the U.S. And here in the U.S., we also have, I saw um, McConnell testing, tested in Ukraine aid fight. So this is a quote from the Wall Street Journal. 
This rises above your typical domestic political dispute, said McConnell in defending his stance on Ukraine and its second year of fighting invading Russian forces. I think that the country's future and the Western world's future depends upon winning this, he said in a recent interview. So if you thought the Ukraine thing was over, they're doing a last ditch Hail Mary to see if they can drum up some more funds and uh, keep Ukraine into the fight. Uh, Now, this was the other big news this past week that uh, I haven't read the letter. I've only seen coverage of the letter. Apparently, all these little girls on TikTok are getting very excited for the writings, the literature of Osama bin Laden. And so, of course, this was the takeaway from the uh, Washington Post. The bigger picture, it spreads highlights, the hazards of people getting their news on social media and how media coverage can fan flame uh, can fan the flames of viral controversy. You know, firstly, I, I, now I'm, I'm, uh, I'm reading into the situation because I haven't done my homework. I haven't seen what these people are reading. But my guess is that in a piece of the Osama bin Laden writings, it's like us, it's them basically going, hey, we're attacking you because you keep intervening in our affairs. I'm just assuming that that's probably people actually getting an education in foreign policy and realizing that they prefer a non-interventionist stance. And so they're going, look, you can even see that this guy that they were saying hates us just because we're free, didn't hate us just because we're free. It's because we tried to take our freedom to run up uh, big deficits that we could go bomb other countries and impose our will on them. That's, That's what they hate. Once again, didn't do any of my homework on this one. So I'm just reading into the situation. But like I said, I pull really good information out of my rectum sometimes. Uh, And so, of course, you know, traditional media steps right in and goes, you see, as our kids now turn to terrorist literature and turn on our country, it's proof once again why no one can have freedom to just find information and educate them on the themselves on the Internet. What we need is for the government to gain to have a partnership with private media companies to select who the experts will be that we can get our information from. Because without government selecting the exact experts that we can get our information from, we're at risk of people finding other information on the Internet and maybe becoming educated. Um, All right. Z asked U.S. business leaders to help ease growing tensions. And for some reason, they're reporting on pandas. Is there any reason why whether or not we have pandas in our zoos is part of the conversation of us trying to figure out our relationship with China? I mean, how much influence does China have over our country that we can't have pandas in our zoos? You're telling me we can't breed some pandas? You're telling me that of all the chaos that goes on in China and all the illegal activity, we can't steal one male and female panda, go over there, jerk off some other pandas, bring it over here, and just, and I don't know, throw up some bamboo, play some Al Green songs. I don't know what turns panda on, pandas on. Why is it that we don't have pandas in our zoos, and who gives a shit? Has anyone gone to, when you go to the zoo, you want to see the fucking predators, all right? I just went to the zoo. The zoo sucks. Don't bother with the zoo. I saw one cool thing. It was a rattlesnake. That was the only cool thing I saw at the zoo. But you go to the zoo, you want to see the shit that can fucking kill you. And maybe some monkeys doing monkey shit, unless they're the baboons. They always got the baboons with their fucking itchy, red, irritated assholes. Just makes me feel bad for them. I'm like, can't you get these uh, baboons some fucking hemorrhoid cream? And then, by the way, in terms of species with uh, varying varying degrees of dick sizes, you see the baboons rock by and they got these really curvy creepy looking like uh dicks they almost look like the uh, uh gobbly things on fucking turkeys or some of them but there is not a very even distribution of dick sizes on the baboons as other people notice this when they're in the in, in the zoo 
Do other people also instantly <laughs> look at the penis sizes of other species to see if it has a more even distribution than what I see in the locker room? But anyways, you go to the zoo, what are you looking at? You're looking at baboon penises, right? And then you want to see you, you want to see the predators. And the problem with the predators is that for the most part, they drug these animals at the zoo so they're lazy. You see, you see your lion, and lion just wants to sleep. Only one time I was at some, like, local zoo, and there was, like, some creepy hyena, fox, or wolf or some shit that was just literally just walking the outside of its pen. It was just walking. It was just walking in a circle, just being like, yo, what's up? What's up? You want to start some shit? What's up? That's what you want to see when you're at the zoo. I don't care if there's a panda. You're telling me a panda's more interesting than a grizzly bear? You want to see the shit that's going to kill and eat you. And anyways, how much control does the Chinese Communist Party have over our society that you can't go to a zoo and uh, and see a panda? And is it that hard to fornicate pandas? But anyways, here I am yelling about why is everyone else interested in this other topic? I, I, you got all these things to distress. You got, you got Taiwans, you got currency manipulations, you've got bricks, you, you've got uh, stealing intellectual property, and for some reason our dumb media is hung up on whether or not we can create enough peace and a bond with China that they'll lend us pandas again. All right, the more promising part of the story is uh, it seems like Z's over here, and he's like, hey guys, we'll stop stealing all of your intellectual property. If you come back here, we'll stop stealing your intellectual property. And... Uh, it seems, uh, I, I guess, uh, kind of a. It, it it seems like we got a little bit of leverage at the moment that people are reluctant to go over there and invest in the country because they have a history of stealing the intellectual property. And how come there's not more just coverage on this? This would be the most interesting part of these negotiations. Is Biden tough enough that he can actually get some uh, some wins of maybe a return on intellectual property or a commitment to not steal intellectual property? Or how desperate is he for American investment? that perhaps we can actually peacefully uh, come up with some sort of a resolution for them to not take Taiwan. What kind of a commitment would they, like, you see, this is where you can start having actual peace conversations of, yes, we will go back to having our factories over there and we'll lessen our rhetoric. We need the following commitments from you. And then, look, we can get along without fighting each other. But it could be that, you know, everyone looks at this guy and they go, nope, he's lying He's an evil dictator, which Biden accidentally said it uh, in a speech. And uh, he's just over here to convince us to go back over there so that they can, you know, basically steal our intellectual property again. All right. And now let's move on to the latest from Israel, because like I said, we're uh, we're keeping all the anti-Semitism for the end of the show. Uh, so let's start off with this one. Israel says it found evidence of a mass activity in hospital. Oh, come on. You were telling me that they're... Uh, that they were running their operations out of here, that this was the main command base, wasn't it? I already forgot. I already forget. Was that not what they were saying like four days ago? Was that they were their control center was there, and now they turn around and they're taking pride in the fact that there's evidence of activity? You, know, you guys boldly said that that was the command center. That's, that's what I had been hearing. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm making that up. Maybe I'm being so tough on these people. I'm just inventing that I heard, like, you know, all this chatter of the command center being under hospitals. And then you turn around and this is this is the best you got is activity. All right. And then this was from the uh, from the New York Times. You get a little picture here and it goes. The Israel military showed Times journalists a shaft that it said was evidence of a Hamas facility under Al-Shifra Hospital in Gaza. Electrical wiring and a staircase were visible inside. Why not go down it? 
Why not go down there and go, oh, look, here's the command center we were telling everybody about. Or you could do one of those things they do in the movies where you where they go splunking and you just throw the glow stick down. You go, look, there, there's a whole command center down there. You're telling me you can't get one camera with a flashlight to look down the hole? You're, you're telling me you don't have drones? You don't have one of those things that when they put you under, they shove up your, your ass to check your colon? You don't have one of those little tube lights they use in the movies when the SWAT team and they look in the vent and it goes around the corner and then they see what's in there? Hey, look, this is like Lost. Remember in Lost, they got three full seasons out of a shaft. They kept going, who's in the shaft? What what, what was in the shaft? That was the best that that show was. And then you found out, well, there's a guy in the shaft, and then he's plugging numbers, and then it's four seasons later, and you realize this show didn't have a plot. But for a little while, they teased that shaft. They made a whole three seasons out of having a shaft. And so I guess that's why, you know, there's a command center. We can't go down there. I mean, we're here to uproot them. We're here to expose them, but we can't actually go down there and show you this command center. But look, there's evidence of the fact that there was activity. Well, that's quite, that's quite a, that's quite a walk back. That's quite a moving the goalposts from a command center. Once again, I might have that wrong. Maybe they never were talking about command centers. All right, here we go. This is back to the New York Times. It was unclear where the shaft led or how deep it was. And its existence does not prove Israel's claim that Hamas has used al-Shifra to hide command centers. Hamas and hospitals officials reject the accusation. Hey, before we uh, move on with the other news, if you guys haven't watched already, that Dave Smith-Laura Loomer debate was feisty and fun. Man, I sat down. I, or- I ordered myself uh, some some dinner. I think I was eating halal food because we're on the Palestinian side now. So, you know, I felt like... Uh, you got you to get into it. I had the baklavas, poured myself a whiskey, and I watched that thing. It was uh, it was, it was, was fun. Um, it, I thought the format was like a little bit loose up front, which kind of left let, led to a little bit of meandering and that there wasn't kind of as structured of, hey, here's my point of view, here's my point of view. And the, But it was fun. It was feisty. I thought it kind of settled in after the first 20 minutes, and then the second half, Dave uh, really handed it to that lady. Uh, who's a tough opponent. I mean, just because there's so much noise being generated and there's so much interruptions, I could not do what Dave does. Like, firstly, I don't have a handle on the facts in any, in even a similar capacity, but to be able to just sit there with that bombardment of just roostering. Um, all right. So I, I think the, uh, the two bombshell moments, if you guys haven't watched it and you should go watch it, the cleanest bombshell was obviously the, Hey, if people have responsibilities for their governments, um, should terrorists be allowed to kill us on account of drone strikes or other things that our world leaders have done to them? I think that that was probably the biggest bombshell of the whole thing and one of like the clearest moments of, wow, you just got your ass handed to you. The other one, which was as big of a win to me, but I don't know, it was like a little maybe more intellectual or maybe I'm overstating it, but I thought Dave's point of if uh, if you're saying that all of Islam uh, is, uh, you know, terrorist or Jew haters, or the entire problem is actually not a Gaza problem, but it's an Islam problem, then how do you justify your support for Donald Trump 
who works with Saudi Arabia? Or how do you justify anyone in government working with Saudi Arabia? Because isn't that a violation of what you're saying is the gigantic threat to us? Um, as an extension of that, which is something that I guess I would like to know, of the people who have the opinion that it's... Uh, firstly, I guess you got the issue of like, so then why... Because even heard there was like an inconsistency of that there's some good people in Palestine, but all anyone who actually uh, abides by the Islamic faith is... Uh, is by definition a Jew hater because that's a tenant of the faith. And if you don't actually observe all the tenets of that faith, you're actually not practicing uh, real Islam. Uh, it was a confusing uh, line of reasoning and one that she didn't seem to apply consistently. But of the people that do take that perspective, I, I, I guess my two questions are, one, so if you think that all everyone who practices the faith actually secretly hates Jews and wants to kill Jews. So are you saying that we have to convert them out of the religion? Are you saying that uh, like we need to abolish that religion? Are you saying we should genocide these individuals? Are you saying every single one of them is inherently our enemy if they practice that? Like what, what, what exactly is the practical walk away of, of that approach uh, for one? And for two is uh, there's like 2 billion of, uh, uh, of the Muslims uh, it just seems like, uh, you know, maybe it's my ignorance. And so you're more informed than I am. And you take the approach that all these people are, uh, Jewish mass murders. They would like to kill all the Jews if they had the opportunity and they will just wait till they have enough power to kill all the Jews. And so I guess you're not doing a good enough job of educating everybody about why we need to, I guess, go to war with the two, bizlo- two billion uh, Muslims that exist now and not allowing them to have more. I guess you're just not doing a good enough job of educating everybody. Of the, It's like a global warming type threat. It's an existential threat unless we address it immediately. Uh, it seems to me, for those who take this kind of approach of like all the Muslims are bad and we got to keep them in check, like you really think picking on the, 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 the two million of them that are in Gaza that you have the ability to pick on are going to keep the other ones in check? Or is you taking the approach of might is right and creating uh, a precedent of if we have the ability to pick on these people, we will. Aren't you just giving them the future argument of, look, you did exactly this to did exactly this to us when you had the power to do so? If anything, don't you want to create precedent of, hey, you guys are of a different faith and a different religion? But we're gonna we're gonna try and create a platform to figure out how we can both get along, and you try and build that so that in the future, if there remains a world where there's only 14 million Jews and there's six seven billion Muslims, maybe they're a little bit nicer to us in a hundred years. Isn't that like I'm just saying from a longevity standpoint, unless you actually think you're gonna convince the entire world that we have to genocide or get rid of all the Islamists, which I don't think is your opinion. And I'm, I, I, and, I'm, and I'm asking what you think is the workable solution if you think that they all hate us. And, and, and if you're not going to call for that, then don't you completely want to 180 the other way and go, listen, I know that peace seems unworkable, but, you know, if I'm projecting into the future, there's going to be a lot more of them than us. So while I have this little slice of power over them, I, I better go the other way and figure out how to... Uh, it's set precedent for, for kindness. And maybe that's some dumb hippie bullshit, but you know, it was, I, I, 
to be more specific, because all those hippie bullshit thoughts were what just came out of my mouth now as I'm spewing live, I was really wondering, and I would have asked, like, so are you call, Are you saying that we need to kill every Islam in every country, that this isn't just a Gaza issue, and that this is an Islam issue, and this has nothing to do with land or anything else, that this is just entirely a, a clashing of religions? Like, so, so is, are you saying every single person that is a, and by the way, the idea that she, like she was also saying, which made no sense to me that, um, in these countries, if you don't hold their core faiths, like they're all in agreement, it's like, I don't know, aren't there different groups of Muslims that are always kind of battling each other and killing each other? And you're saying that they're all in agreement on something that, that seemed off, but go watch the debate. It was, uh, it was, a it was a really fun watch. Um, and there were some great points made and I felt like, uh, Dave did an excellent job. So it's worth watching. All right. I was also thinking about this, uh, from, from all the, the Gaza stuff is, uh, I guess early on, we, you know, it, 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 I, I, we were hearing that Israel can't possibly go into Gaza because it has such a robust tunnel system. It's impossible to tell who the enemy is. The enemy pops up from nowhere. You get swarmed. It's like a beehive. You know, every time you go into an area, they can just come out from nowhere. They can shoot at you. There's no possible pathway to um, victory here. Um I'm just curious because I haven't seen any comments po- like post in a while. I see a bunch of people watching live. So if you're listening, just uh, give me a comment just so I can make sure that I'm not just talking to myself again or that um, I, I think I'm recording locally. So we should be all set no matter what. Uh, all right. So there was uh, talk even amongst like, uh, you know, people uh, who I seem to follow and are counter narrative type people. Um, but you know, there was all that chatter that, you know, Israel can't possibly just go in there. Um, and that was, uh, I guess, partly the justification for even by, by the Israelis for bombing buildings was the necessity to do so. And maybe they've only been able to, uh, I guess now have their ground assault because of the buildings that they took out. But I did just kind of, this registered in my brain. It was just something I was thinking about. So I'll share with you guys is uh so from what i've seen and this is an overlay from newsweek gaza's footprint is overlaid onto new york it covers an area roughly the size of manhattan the bronx and hoboken um combined right so just to give you like a visual uh because everyone says that gaza's tiny and very dense um i've biked in new york city i've biked from the top of manhattan like to pretty deep into oh i guess that doesn't include brooklyn that's the size of Manhattan, Bronx, and Hoboken. And in my head, I just uh, equated that to also Queens and New Jersey. Um, But I don't think I've ever quite biked the Bronx to New York City. But if it's denser than New York City, you're talking about a lot of blocks with a lot of buildings. And so when I saw that they made it all the way to the Al Shifra Hospital, I was curious, like, how, like the equivalent of how many blocks are we now looking at? Like how how far in have you guys gotten into this? Because then it sounds like the idea that you'd get completely swarmed and you couldn't have true presence there whatsoever uh, is starting not to add up. Now, maybe you did a good enough job of uh, bombing so many buildings that you cleared out, I guess, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and you made it an easier place to, to battle on. Um, but it seems to me, based off the map that I guess they've already gotten one third into 
Gaza. I, I'm just going visually. I, 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 I might be way off on this, but visually that looks like you're about a third of the way in. Um, and like if I'm looking at this from a New York City standpoint, you also went all the way from west to east. So like this is the equivalent of if you came into Washington Heights and you made it down to like you made it all the way from 185th on the uh, west side to or let's go east side in my brain you went from 185th on the east side all the way to like 86th street or so um on the west side you're talking about moving past a lot a lot of buildings and a lot a lot of people so at that point it sounds to me like you guys can actually have a ground war without just being absolutely rocked by these tunnels because You've already done a third of like the amount. Now it could be that as you keep pushing the people south, it becomes progressively more congested. Um, but in terms of the, hey, we have to bomb buildings and we're not looking to kill civilians and we're not looking to kill their infrastructure. Um, and even from like, you know, I heard from I think Colonel McGregor. I saw him on a thing saying that they can't possibly win or fight a ground war. I'm just looking at the map, and it seems like they're already 30% in and uh, and doing it. Um, food for thought. I, I was just looking at this in my brain. Um, now, this is kind of uh, 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 seemingly not great, but after kicking all of the northerners out of their homes or telling them that they got to move because they're bombing, uh, now they're sending the same notices to the people in the south. It kind of reminds me of that scene in Super 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 Troopers. Like, we can't pull over any further. We're already all the way pulled over. How much further are we going to go? And then I hate just government language. I see government language. Did a whole segment like two weeks ago about spin. But the leaflets dropped over parts of the South reportedly said, for your safety, you need to evacuate your places of residence immediately and head to known shelters. Are there known shelters? I mean, this is like such a classic government move where you get to go on the news and go, well, no, we're completely humane. We drop notices telling them to go to known shelters. Let me guess you have a uh, find a known shelter support line and then you just get put on hold. What are you talking? We're doing everything in our power to make sure that these people can get to known. Are there known shelters? You've already moved everyone from the north into the south. And now, what, you've, you're telling me you've established known shelters for the people? Hey, guys, no big deal. If you can just leave your home for like a month and we don't know that you're going to be able to return to it, but you can just go to the known shelter. I don't know of any shelter. You guys know of any shelters? Afternoons. All right, we're done with the episode. Thank you for hanging out. Um, PremierPharma.com. If you guys got those independent pharmacies or uh, you got a hospital, you got a doctor's office, you want to get your generic drugs to your patients for cheaper, you go to PremierPharma.com. You go have a conversation with them. They can make it happen. Uh, Kratom.com, Delta.com, Buy tickets. RobbieTheFire.com. Episode's over. I'm talking for no reason anymore. We've covered it all. We've said everything. There's nothing left to do. Have a